a prayer before study. Ineffable creator, who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels, have arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom, and the primal origin raised high beyond all things. Pour forth a ray of your brightness into the darkened places of my mind. Disperse from my soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants. Refine my speech and pour forth upon my lips the goodness of your blessing. Grant to me keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Welcome to Old Books of Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist scholar, conveniently married to a structural engineer. This is convenient because we have three kids and we will be totally covered on the homework front with both math and reading. Today is the last installment of the Lent Many Faces of Jesus series because it's not Lent anymore. Happy Easter, everyone. Before I talk about Jesus as us, I'd like to announce what's coming next on Old Books with Grace. In order to work on some book projects, I'm temporarily moving to an episode every other week. So don't worry if you aren't getting weekly notifications for a bit. In the summer, we'll return to weekly episodes. For April and May, you'll experience a smorgasbord of different episodes. No series, just whatever I'm feeling like at the moment. I'm planning on doing some really fascinating word origin posts. And for those of you who know me, uh, word origins are a little obsession of mine. Um, I'm also going to share a bit of post-medieval poetry. So weekly episodes return in June and July with a brand new series. After the intensity of the many faces of Jesus and headed into, fingers crossed, a better season than most of us have had in a while, I wanted to do something lighter and more social for the summer. In June and July, Old Books with Grace will be doing Summer Old Book Club. Get out your Regency dresses, practice your subtle insults, and prepare to be thrilled by lingering eye contact. We're going to read Jane Austen's Persuasion. I've gathered some friends to discuss this incredible novel with me. These friends include a creative writer, two English professors, a math curriculum specialist for public schools, the aforesaid husband structural engineer, a tutor for kids with reading disabilities, a documentary maker for NPR, and more. They share in common that they are smart, thoughtful, kind, curious people who are willing to talk about Jane Austen with me. Some of them have never read Persuasion before. Some of them teach Persuasion every single year to college students, so they run the gamut. 
I'm really excited. We're going to read three chapters at a time across these two months. I'm hoping you will join us as well for this summer reading adventure. Um, So I'm giving plenty of advance notice so that if you wish, you can procure a copy and even start reading. Form your own study groups or read the novel in an existing book club. You could invite new friends to listen in and have your own discussions together, preferably with a glass of summery wine. So that's what's coming up. Okay, back to Jesus as us. One of the more enduring and popular medieval traditions were the plays performed on the feast day of Corpus Christi in towns like York, Coventry, Chester, and others. Guilds, the organizations of different tradespeople and artisans, performed plays depicting the Bible from creation to revelation outside on elaborate floats and sets that moved through the streets of the towns. An especially charming feature of these plays is that the content of the play often loosely determined the guild in charge of performing the play. For example, the fishers and mariners, the fishermen and the sailors, put on the flood play at York. More soberly, the Sherman the folks who sheared cloth, performed the road to Calvary in an echo of the sheep sheared before slaughter. The pinners, the makers of pins and nails, and the painters depicted the raising of the cross. The butchers, who certainly had access to a lot of blood, put on the mortification of Jesus on the cross and his death. Some plays were elaborate, some were simpler. It was done differently from town to town. Different scenes were chosen. All were performed over the days commemorating Corpus Christi, the summer feast of the body of Christ. That's what Corpus Christi means in Latin. That especially honored the Eucharist, Christ's body here on earth. These plays brought liturgy to life biblical history unfolded in your time and place, enacted by and through your neighbor's bodies before your eyes. Perhaps your friend was Jesus on the cross, your enemy was Jesus teaching in the temple, or your uncle was Jesus harrowing hell. And at the same time, you were the one who drove the nails into Jesus. Your friend was a mocker at the crucifixion, and so on. When you stop to think about it, Such representations were profound, particularly for the Feast of Corpus Christi. The body of Christ in God's broken earthly kingdom of 15th century York, England, reenacted the saga of Christ and his body in 1st century Palestine. These plays vividly remind their viewers, through their strange literality, you, you are Corpus Christi. And so am I. Through the miracle of the Eucharist, we are united in Jesus' resurrected body. Both the Orthodox and the Heterodox recognize Jesus in their very bodies. For Orthodox medieval believers, it was in the consumption of the Eucharist and in their communities. 
for heterodox medieval believers, we can look to the 15th century Lollard woman. I hope you remember what Lollards are from a few episodes back. Um, you can remind yourself. Um, they were a particular group of folks following the theologian uh, Wycliffe. But one of them was the 15th century Lollard woman, Marjorie Baxter, who argued against the use of images in worship, including the crucifix. In one dramatic gesture, she threw out her own arms and declared, This is the true cross of Christ. And you ought and can see and adore that cross every day here in your own house. And if you want to read more about her, that's from the heresy trials in the Diocese of Norwich from 1428 to 31 by Norman P. Tanner. Julian of Norwich and others walked a middle way of these perspectives in their visionary accounts that showed us how we can both adore the crucifix and realize that we are the body of Christ, not even allegorically. There was never a moment in which we were without Christ. This reminds me very much of a poem that is not medieval, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, because it's our concluding episode in this series. It's by Gerard Manley Hopkins, the 19th century Jesuit poet, one of my favorites. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells, stones ring. Like each a tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself. Myself it speaks and spells, crying what? I do is me for that I came. I say more. The just man justices, keeps grace. That keeps all his goings graces. Acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. That's Gerard Manley Hopkins, as Kingfishers Catch Fire. Hopkins brilliantly writes of creation. As bells were made to ring and sing out their names in the ringing, as kingfishers shine in the light of their dives to catch fish, as dragonflies hover like magic jewels over still ponds, Hopkins believes that all things rejoice in their particular selves, in their creation and createdness. What I do is me, for that I came. But Hopkins' second stanza is even more moving. When we love, when we give grace, when we practice justice, in God's eye we are Christ. Christ plays in 10,000 places, in us, radiant in loveliness as we learn to love like Him. Such love is what we were created for as people. I think of Hopkins often because I find Christ playing in faces and eyes not his all the time, 
both in 14th century England and 21st century Colorado. I received these glimpses of Jesus in their deliberate actions. When the just man justices, or a friend keeps all her goings graces. I also think of God's image appearing in the most broken folks and appalling situations. I'm simultaneously heartbroken and uncomfortable to remember the image of God in the souls of both the victims of mass shootings and the shooter, hidden and fractured though it may be. What a different world it would be if I and my fellow Christians treated everyone with the consciousness that they were the image of God, as they were in all their ragged obscurity. We're certainly not capable of this love on our own. We can't just educate ourselves into it, though learning about others and listening to their stories helps more than any other human effort. I'm learning how to pray for the eyes of God to help illumine our visionary capacity for seeing Jesus' face in other faces. I hope that throughout this series, you've glimpsed Jesus in surprising places and unfamiliar faces too. I hope that this series has revealed to you some of your hidden beliefs about Him. It has for me. Thank you for listening and following along. Please do share with a friend or leave a review if you enjoyed it. I also love to hear from you at oldbookswithgrace at gmail.com or in the comments at oldbookswithgrace.com. Next episode will be something new and different, so tune in. Also, don't forget to scrounge up a copy of Jane Austen's Persuasion for the Summer Old Book Club. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs>